Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's episode is called What Happened to Baby Penny Tui? It's written by Stuff senior writer Blair Ensor, who joins me now. Hi, Blair. Hi, Mike. Blair, listeners might remember this was the story you were working on when you dialed into this show a few weeks ago for something else. You were up in the North Island then working on this story about baby Penny Tui. So what's it about? So 38 years ago in the uh, rural service town of Dannyverk in the lower central North Island, the Tapu Toro Fano had left their daughter Penny Tui with a family friend and she suffered fatal injuries uh, one morning whilst in the care of that family friend. I guess the family has never felt like they have learned how their daughter suffered these fatal injuries. So this is one of those cases, sadly, where a child suffers injuries, it's unclear exactly what happened, and nothing comes of it. Police investigate, but nothing is ever really resolved. This has been going nearly 40 years, though, and there are some updates in this story, quite recent. So uh, bring us up to speed. What happened back then? in this case with Penny Tui, and what's happened more recently? So back in 1985, the family friend, a woman called Kathleen Smith, outlined a series of events that she said uh, essentially led to the death of Penny Tui. And, Accidentally. Like. Yeah, well, yeah, and the police ultimately concluded uh, that her death was an accident. The family never felt like they really had any closure. They never got the answers they felt like they needed. And uh, a few years ago now, uh, her father, Gerald, started requesting information about the case and, and eventually contacted police, uh, well, the Farno contacted police and asked if they could review the file. At about the same time, um, a, a very senior detective called Detective Inspector Tom Fitzgerald uh, was developing a new interviewing method, uh, the Complex Investigation Phased Engagement Model. You may have heard that recently um, because... Great title. Yeah, well, and it's come under some scrutiny because uh, it extracted a false confession uh, in the in, a different, uh, in another in, case. In, a, in another yeah. murder case, yeah. Anyway, as you will hear, uh, Smith is re-interviewed using that method, um, and she gives a new version of what happens. Thanks, Blair. Here is Blair, and I should stress the story does have some distressing content in it. Reading his story, what happened to Baby Penny Tui? As Gerald Tapu Toro approaches the old weatherboard house, tears stream down his face. Shielded from the rain under a black umbrella, he cuts a forlorn figure. His wife Anne clutches his arm. The couple haven't been here in almost 40 years. The memories aren't great, Gerald says. As they walk past the driveway in full view of the house, Gerald can barely bring himself to look. Anne fixes her gaze on the footpath in front of her. It's too hard, she says. This house in Dannyverk, about an hour's drive northeast of Palmerston North, is where, on July 29, 1985, their one-year-old daughter, Penny Tui, suffered a catastrophic head injury while in the care of a friend. The child died in hospital a week later. On their last visit here, decades earlier, Gerald and Anne asked their friend Kathleen Smith how Penny Tui was hurt. 
they left in disbelief, unable to comprehend the series of improbable mishaps Smith said had caused their daughter's fatal injuries. But Smith was pregnant, so they didn't want to pressure her, and instead left the matter with police. Investigators looked closely at Smith, but despite suspicions about her story, concluded Penny Tui's death was accidental. Nearly four decades later, a detective using a controversial new interviewing method extracted a new version of events from Smith, and she came desperately close to being charged with manslaughter. But she wasn't, and Penny Tui's whanau still don't feel like they know what really happened to her. I'm not interested in being angry at Smith and taking her to court, Anne says. I just want the truth, nothing more. Penny Tui Taputoro was born in Whanganui on December 28, 1983. Then the youngest of four sisters, she had tightly cropped dark hair and brown eyes. She loved riding her red and yellow trike. The family lived in Pātia, about 60 kilometres northwest of Whanganui. In 1984, they moved to the rural service town of Dannyburg. Gerald worked in the boning room at the local freezing works. Penny Tui and her older sister, Tony Marie, attended a kōhangareo, or early childhood education, taught using te reo Māori. There, Anne struck up a friendship with young childcare trainee, Kathleen Smith. Smith, her husband Willie, and their three-year-old son had recently moved from Auckland. As Anne and Gerald established themselves in Dannyburg, they bought a dairy. Then, a few months later, a burger bar on the town's main street. Anne found juggling work and parenting exhausting. She was still breastfeeding Penny Tui, but knew she needed to stop. In early July 1985, Smith noticed Anne looked run down and offered to care for Penny Tui at her home until the child was weaned. Anne trusted Smith, who had already looked after Penny Tui and Tony Marie for a few hours at a time, so she accepted. Several weeks later, on July 28, Gerald felt it was time for Penny Tui to come home. By then, the whānau had a live-in babysitter, Gerald's niece, and he missed his daughter. But when he went to pick her up, Smith asked if she could have her for one more night. Not wanting to hurt her feelings, Gerald agreed and arranged to collect Penny Tui after work on Monday. About 12.45pm on Monday, Anne's brother, Tame Rangahayata, popped into the Taputoro's dairy to grab some lunch. While he was there, the shopkeeper, Violet Kiriona, answered a phone call. Rangahayata could hear a hysterical woman on the other end. It was Smith. Kiriona screamed and hung up. Penny Tui had fallen in the bath, she said, and Smith had called an ambulance. Rangahaita rushed to his car. On the way to Smith's house, he saw Anne in her car. He flagged her down and told her to follow him. The front door to Smith's home was open. Rangahaita found her in the hallway, crying and holding Penny Tui. My Penny! My baby Penny, she said. What have I done to my Penny? Rangahaita prized the child from Smith's arms. Penny Tui was wearing only a nappy. She wasn't breathing and felt cold. 
Rangahaiata started mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Within about 30 seconds, she started breathing again. A short time later, an ambulance arrived and rushed Penny Tui to Danny Verk Hospital. When Penny Tui arrived at the emergency department, she was in a serious condition. She was unconscious and her body temperature was an unusually cold 34 degrees Celsius. Normal is 36.5 degrees. Her eyes were fixed and her pupils dilated. She was transferred first to Palmerston North Hospital, then by helicopter to Wellington. There, a scan showed she had suffered extensive brain damage and was unlikely to breathe on her own again. Neurosurgeon Graham Martin noted several pre-existing injuries, days-old bruises on the child's head and what appeared to be burns on her right arm. But Penny Tui had clearly suffered the brain trauma that day and Martin felt it was too severe to have been caused by a fall in the bath. Anne and Gerald arrived in Wellington that night. They were ushered into a specialist's office at the hospital and told their daughter was likely going to die. Gerald leapt from his chair, grabbed the specialist and shoved him against a wall. No one is turning off the life support, he said. And so they didn't. Early the next day, based on Martin's assessment, police in Wellington contacted their counterparts in Dannyburg. Penny Tui's death was imminent, they said, and would be the subject of a homicide investigation. Detective Rehana Paki was tasked with interviewing Smith. He picked up her and her husband Willie before dawn and brought them into the Dannyburg police station. The Smith's home was placed under police guard. Willie Smith had gone to work the previous day, Kathleen Smith, who was five months pregnant, called in sick and kept Penny Tui and her son home with her. Kathleen Smith told Parkey that Penny Tui was fretting for her mother, but that wasn't unusual. To cheer Penny Tui up, she played hide-and-seek with the children. She also threw Penny Tui up in the air, tickled her and gave her rides. Afterwards, her son watched television and she put Penny Tui in the bath. She loved baths, Smith said and had one every day. While Smith was away from the bathroom getting clothes and a nappy for Penny Tui, she heard a noise. She returned and found Penny Tui had fallen in the water. Smith described what happened next. She was gulping or gasping. I was looking at her stomach to see if she was breathing. I picked her up by grabbing her legs. I stood up holding her in front of me, shaking her, hitting her back and slapping her face to try and wake her up. I also hit her on the back of her head several times with my hand, pretty hard. Because she didn't wake up, I screamed out to her. I was panicked. As I shook her hard, she slipped out of my hands and she fell head first onto the bathroom floor. I screamed and I got really uptight and upset. I picked her up and she was breathing funny. To keep Penny Tui warm, Smith said she put the nappy on her and wrapped her in a towel. I started running up and down the hallway yelling, Smith said, screaming, slapping her and tipping her upside down. She vomited in the hallway. Smith rang an ambulance and then spoke to Kiriona at the dairy. By then, Penny Tui looked dead. Smith also described two incidents to Parky to explain some of the child's historic injuries. The first occurred 10 days earlier on July 19. Smith said she was driving into town when a car pulled out in front of her. 
she had to slam on her brakes, and Penny Tui, who was sitting, likely unrestrained, in the back, went flying forward and into the gear stick. The toddler cried, but seemed okay. Smith said she later saw a bruise on Penny Tui's right cheek. The next incident happened on July 27, while Penny Tui and Smith's son were having a bath. Smith said she was away from the bathroom getting the children's pyjamas when she heard water running and Penny Tui scream. She returned and saw Penny Tui's right arm had been scalded. She ran it under cold water and the next day it seemed alright. Pucky noted in a job sheet that Smith was crying while talking about Penny Tui's fall in the bath and expressed regret. It was my fault. I was panicked. I am guilty, she said. She appeared to me to be very reluctant to talk about the main period when the baby was actually injured, Pucky wrote. I was of the opinion that this was either due to her being so upset about the incident or that she was trying to conceal something from us. At this stage, I was more inclined to the former. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Smith's story did not explain the severity of Penny Tui's head injuries. Parky's job sheet noted she should be subjected to a further hard-line interview. Detective Sergeant Brian Hewitt, who had been brought in from Hastings to lead the investigation, conducted the second interrogation. He told Smith that the story she'd given wasn't true. He suggested Penny Tui's injuries would have been caused by her head hitting something solid, perhaps swinging the child against a wall. He also told Smith that Penny Tui was likely going to die. Smith started crying. Eventually, she admitted she had lied. She told Hewitt that while playing in the lounge the previous day, she had taken turns swinging her son and Penny Tui round by their legs. I was swinging Penny Tui around and I lost my balance and let her go, Smith said. She hit her head against the wall, the same wall where the lounge suite is. She started crying, but she was conscious. I asked her if she wanted a bath and she walked to the bath. Everything else I have said is true. I didn't tell you this because I was feeling guilty. Parky's job sheet for this second interview again notes that Smith was evasive. She was emotional particularly when talking about how Penny Tui was hurt. Parky thought she was dissembling. It appeared to me that she was deliberately trying to avoid going over the main issues when Penny Tui was injured. Smith's latest explanation still didn't stack up. Hewitt's suggestion about Penny Tui being swung into a wall 
had been based on information from police in Wellington, but medical experts were more of the view that the injuries were caused by the child being shaken and then dropped. Neurosurgeon Graham Martin thought being swung into a wall would have caused immediate unconsciousness and left a bruise or lump on Penny Tui's scalp. He also thought Penny Tui's temperature could not have dropped so quickly unless she had been immersed in ice-cold water, perhaps as a way to revive her. Detectives discussed the possibility that Smith had used Hewitt's wall suggestion as a way out. Parkey told Smith experts still doubted her explanation. Again, she broke down in tears. I have told you the truth, she said. She hadn't told the full story initially because she was scared of going to jail. For days, Penny Tui's whānau kept vigil beside her in hospital, singing waiata, telling stories, and hoping for a miracle. But on the evening of August 4, alarm started sounding, and her heart monitor flatlined. I just held her in my arms, and they took all the gadgets off her, Gerald says. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to face in my life, to see my daughter pass before me. I couldn't say goodbye. Her death was like part of me had died. Penny Tui was buried at the Waioturi Marae Urupa, which overlooks the mouth of the Pātia River, in the shadow of Mount Taranaki. After her tangi, Anne and Gerald visited Smith. Until then, they hadn't considered the possibility their friend might have caused their daughter's death. They even defended her to detectives. That all changed after the visit. Smith told Anne and Gerald what she had told police. She'd swung Penny Tui into the lounge wall. Then the child had fallen in the bath. And, finally, when she'd picked her up to revive her, she'd dropped her head first onto the bathroom floor. I had no words, says Anne. I just sat there stunned. That was the story that she gave as her truth at that time. I just couldn't believe it. Gerald and Anne left Smith's home in tears. They haven't spoken to her since. I said that if there's anything not right here, that's what the law's there for, Gerald says. It wasn't for me to make a judgement on her. I thought that the truth would come out. In a report to his boss, dated September 27, 1985, Detective Sergeant Brian Hewitt said Smith's explanation about how Penny Tui suffered her fatal injuries did not hold any real weight. I am not satisfied as to how the child obtained her initial head injury, Hewitt said. I feel that it is quite possible that the child was playing up and was shaken severely by Smith and dropped either deliberately or accidentally. That she then put the child in cold water, trying to revive it, was unable to do so, contacted the family, and then later the hospital. This would explain how the child's temperature dropped. Hewitt concluded by saying, I believe Kathleen Smith maltreated Penny Tui Taputoro and that this maltreatment caused the death. I do not believe that she deliberately injured the child and that shaking and dropping it was not done with any intent to cause it serious injury. The above is my belief, but unfortunately there is no evidence to support this. Without further admissions from Smith, he felt there was insufficient evidence to charge her with anything. But there were still loose ends, and Hewitt didn't let the matter go. 
For one thing, detectives hadn't been aware of a statement by Anne's brother, Tame Rangahaita, when they interviewed Smith. Rangahaita was first on the scene and initially revived Penny Tui. He said that after the child was taken to hospital, Smith took him to the bathroom at her house and demonstrated what had happened. Rangahata was suspicious. The tub had dried soap and dirt in it. It didn't look like it had been used that day. Smith also told him she'd dropped clothes she was carrying when she found Penny Tui, but there were none on the bathroom floor. Her story just wasn't right to me, Rangahata said, but I didn't say anything. A month later, Paki and Hewitt spoke to Smith again at her parents' home in Auckland. By then, she was heavily pregnant and wouldn't be interviewed without her parents and husband present. The detectives probed her on Penny Tui's drop in temperature and the condition of her bathtub. Smith said there was a delay in her contacting an ambulance after Penny Tui was injured, but she couldn't be sure how long. Questioned on Rangahaiata's statement, Smith was adamant. He was wrong about the dry bathtub and the fact she'd said she dropped clothes in the bathroom. The interview concluded with Hewitt telling Smith the matter would be referred to the coroner. Police investigation was over. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child abuse no, numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, tagline there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate. The coronial inquiry for Penny Tui was held in March 1986. It heard that the pathologist who did the post-mortem had found that any one of Smith's explanations for what happened could have resulted in Penny Tui's fatal injuries, and that police had concluded her death was an accident. Coroner Marcus Poole ruled the child's cause of death was bronchopneumonia, secondary to acute swelling of the brain, consistent with her being severely shaken. Gerald Taputoro walked out of the inquest in disgust. 
I wanted to take matters into my own hands, he says. But my brother said to me, this is something that we're going to have to deal with as a family for a long time. And I left it at that. No one ever said we could contest this or we can push this a bit further. Anne and Gerald went on to have two more children, but Penny Tui's death drove a wedge through their relationship. The pair remained married, but lived separate lives and never talked about what had happened to their daughter. I got no satisfaction or justice from the inquest, so I probably took it out on my wife, Gerald says. She met Cathy at the Kohangareo and made the decision for her to look after our daughter. I only found out after the fact. The couple sold their businesses in Dannyburg and had to sell their house to pay off a bank loan. Gerald battled depression and chronic back pain. He prioritised his children over work. We closed off as a whānau and became very protective of the children, he says. Whenever Gerald told new people about his life, he'd start talking about Penny Tui and cry. All that I knew was that we never had a say, he says. Penny Tui never had a voice. He knew he had to do something, but he didn't know what. In 2018, Gerald and Anne's eldest daughter, Salita, was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. She spent months in hospital. When Gerald visited, they would spend hours talking about their lost daughter and sister. Salita told her father not to let it go. Gerald requested Penny Tui's coronial file from the Ministry of Justice. No one in the whānau had seen it before. Gerald and Anne had heard Smith's explanations earlier, but now, upon reading the file, they were shocked, as were Penny Tui's siblings. I was just blown away, Penny Tui's sister Tony Marie says. How could anyone do that to a child who wasn't even their own? And even then, I didn't believe it. In search of more answers, the family contacted police. Things move quickly. In October 2018, an email thread circulated among some of the most senior police officers in New Zealand. One message was from Detective Superintendent Tim Anderson, the National Crime Manager, to Detective Inspector Tom Fitzgerald. This fits squarely with your current course you are developing. Anderson was referring to a new interview method developed by Fitzgerald called the Complex Investigation Phased Engagement Model, or SIPM, designed to get recalcitrant cold case suspects to talk to police. If Kathleen Smith was re-interviewed, Anderson thought the method could be useful. SIPM dispensed with the formalities of a typical police interview. Comfortable chairs were used, there was no desk or note-taking, food was often shared, and the interviewers projected empathy. The idea was to create a fireside chat environment where interviewees felt comfortable talking. I look forward to the cough, a confession, and seeing some kind of closure for the whānau, Anderson wrote in an email to Detective Senior Sergeant James Partier, the National Child Protection Coordinator, who he'd asked to review the file. I'd love to be there when you tell them in person. That's why I love this job. There is no pressure, as I know you guys will get the necessary. Easy. Fitzgerald also expressed confidence. The key, he said, was putting Kathleen Smith at ease. He wrote in reply that he had a plan for how to do this, but didn't elaborate. Best discussed by a phone conference. In April 2019, 
police prepared to use Sippum to interview Smith, who was living in Hamilton, had obtained a law degree, and changed her name to Katrina Wetahiko. It was Fitzgerald's job to get her to agree to the interview. On May 1, 2019, he called Smith. It's not clear what they discussed, but the next morning, without a lawyer and of her own free will, Smith arrived at a Hamilton police station for an interview. There will be some stuff that we talk about today that will be hard, Detective Sergeant Mania Piahana told her. Today, it's about making sure that you leave here, me knowing what happened, and you being able to share that burden with me. Smith told Piahana she'd loved and adored Penny Tui. She carried the pain of the child's death, but insisted she had told the truth to detectives in 1985. I didn't mean to hurt her, she said. Piahana pushed back. Kathy, I don't want you to go back down that same rabbit hole. Today is about making sure that everybody has the truth so that everybody's lives can move on. This is about getting closure for everyone. Slowly, Smith began to recount a new version of the story. She was emotional throughout, crying, hyperventilating, and often unable to give clear answers. I feel like my whole world is collapsing, she said at one point. I think my life is going to be over. Piahana comforted and confronted Smith in equal measure. Your life is not over, she told Smith. This is going to make your life better, because we take it off your shoulders. I just need you to tell me what happened. You're almost there. I can see it. The new story started with Smith playing with Penny Tui, bouncing the child on her knee, like giddy up, before Penny Tui fell backwards. After being challenged by Pia Hana that her story still didn't explain the severity of Penny Tui's injuries, Smith admitted she'd shaken the child. Only later, she said, did she learn of the dangers of shaking a baby. She demonstrated what she did to Penny Tui by holding her hands out in front of her and jiggling them. I don't know what came over me, she said. I know that something else happened after that, Piahana said. Smith cried and pointed to her left eye. So you shook her and then her eyes rolled back in her head? Piahana asked. I didn't. I didn't know, Smith said, before crying again. When she saw Penny Tui's eyes rolling, she panicked. As she stood up, she dropped the child. I just freaked out. I didn't mean to. If only I could take back one minute. Kathy, I understand what happened, Piahana said. And I know you've had this burden to bear, but it's off your shoulders now. After more than four hours, the interview was over. Today on Newsable, it's back to the future with the return of a national party policy of years gone by. So what is social investment and does it work? Plus, why are we all so obsessed with the TV show Baby Reindeer and its Eurovision finals weekend? And there are some absolute bops you simply must hear. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. Police considered the interview a success. Smith had provided a new version of events in which she shook and dropped Penny Tui. 
Detective Senior Sergeant Partier called Gerald that afternoon and told him Smith had been re-interviewed and it went well. But the case would need to be reviewed by police and the Crown before any prosecution. The police gave us a sense of understanding that she was answerable for what had happened to Penny, Gerald says. I thought we'd finally got to the place where the truth was going to come out and the law would deal with it. I really was hopeful that Penny would finally have a voice. The file was transferred to police in Manawatu. In October 2019, Detective Senior Sergeant Neil Forlong forwarded it to the Crown Solicitor. Forlong thought the case warranted an opinion on possible prosecution, but he appeared uneasy about the SIPM interview conducted by Pia Hana. I have not had the interview transcribed to date, Forlong wrote, because I believe that a prosecutor should review the interview to accurately appraise themselves not only of the contents, but the challenges this interviewing style is likely to raise in any future proceedings. Crown Solicitor Ben van der Kolk responded the following month. In his view, there were sufficient grounds to charge Smith with manslaughter, provided there was some medical evidence of Penny Tui's injuries and the force required to inflict them by shaking. Van der Kolk did, though, pay special attention to the Sippum interview. The interviewer tried to get Smith to tell the last piece of the story, but she did not do so, he wrote. So it does remain somewhat difficult to comprehend that brain damage of that nature could be caused to a 20-month-old by shaking her during play. The play was either exceptionally vigorous, or there would have been a point at which Smith snapped and shook Penny Tui violently. Sippum has been used in five cases since it was introduced in 2018 and has been at the centre of recent controversy. Several months after Smith was interviewed, the method was used by two detectives to extract a confession from a man suspected of killing Upper Hutt woman Lois Tolley, who was shot in her home in 2016. A High Court judge later ruled the detectives had misled the man and manipulated him to make a confession that was very flawed and not credible. The prosecution against the man and two others charged with Tolley's murder subsequently collapsed. In this case, van der Kolk felt the information gleaned was reliable. Detective Piahana was firm with Smith, but she engaged with her in a kind, patient and respectful manner, and was not forceful or overbearing. While Smith was exceptionally distressed, van der Kolk observed, and at times operated under significant psychological distress, she had a law degree, knew her rights, and could have ended the interview, but chose not to. She appeared to engage with the idea that telling the truth after all the years she had suffered for Penny Tui's death would help her, van der Kolk wrote. In 2020, as police readied their case against Smith, the prosecution was dealt a major blow. Penny Tui's medical records had been destroyed by the Capital and Coast District Health Board less than two years earlier. No digital copies were made, and pathological slides were also nowhere to be found. Partia and another senior detective visited the Tapu Fano to deliver the news. The prosecution could not proceed. It was heartbreaking, Gerald says. I just held my daughters and cried. All we wanted was for Penny Tui to have a voice, and all of a sudden, it wasn't going to happen. I felt it was partly my fault for not doing something earlier. In a statement to Stuff, 
police said it was unclear why the relevant medical records were not attached to the original investigation file. There have been significant changes in the last four decades in relation to record keeping, Detective Inspector Craig Sheridan said, not least of which include the technological advances in terms of electronic record keeping. It would certainly be expected today that all relevant medical records would be retained within the police investigation file. Police have no record of the file being reviewed prior to the family's request in 2018, Sheridan said, likely because the original investigation concluded Penny Tui's death was accidental and the case was closed. Kathleen Smith, or Katrina Wetahiko as she is now known, still lives in Hamilton. On the University of Waikato's website, she's listed as an expert in dispute resolution and Māori legal issues. She did not respond to repeated requests for comment from Stuff, but her lawyer noted Smith was unable to comment on any differences between the interviews she'd given decades apart as she'd never seen the transcripts of them. As a young mother, pregnant with her second child, she was subjected to a gruelling police investigation and coronial inquest, her lawyer said. She was cleared of any wrongdoing. She was then subject to subsequent investigations in 2019 and cleared of any wrongdoing again. Our client never previously engaged legal counsel because she never considered it necessary having not committed a crime. She has only now engaged counsel for fear that your article will cause undue and irreparable harm to her. To subject her to public scrutiny now, after nearly four decades, is unfair, unjustified and not a matter of public interest. Smith's only direct comment on the case was a letter she wrote to the Tapu Toro Fano provided to stuff by one of her friends. No amount of words can express how deeply saddened and devastated I am for the heartbreaking loss of Penny Tui, she wrote. There is not a day that goes by where I don't think about her, and am so heartbroken that the Fano never got to see her grow up and have her own children. Anne and Gerald, I have carried so much heartache, pain and sorrow, and from the bottom of my heart, I am so very sorry for your loss. After two interviews with authorities, I am not sure what kind of closure the whānau are seeking. I have moved on in my life and hope you find closure in your hearts. I pray for healing prayers. I pray from the bottom of my heart that God will help you with the closure you need. May God bless you all at this time. The Tapu Toros have precious few mementos of Penny Tui. There are cards celebrating her birth and an old mobile that used to hang above her cot. Photos of her riding her trike and learning to walk. But that's it. There hasn't been a day, a week, a month in these passing years that I have not missed her physical presence, Gerald says. I never got to see her grow into a young woman. I never got to be at the birth of her children, my mokopuna. I never got to give her away in marriage. He and Anne still blame themselves for what happened to their daughter, Gerald in particular, for not taking Penny Tui home the day before she was fatally injured. If I had acted on my instincts, I think my daughter would still be here with me today. It was my role to protect her, but I didn't, and I don't deserve to be happy. Anne says she should never have left Penny Tui with Smith. I was her mother. I should have been caring for her. I was just too busy working, 
and I learned a hard lesson for that. I blame no one else but me. The Tapu Toro's guilt endures, but so do the questions about the death of Penny Tui. Gerald and Anne cannot answer them. All they can do is appeal to the one person who can, Kathy Smith. Something happened to our baby and only she knows, Anne says. You know that, Kathy. You know very well we don't have the truth. I gave you my daughter. I gave you the love of our life, the star, and you took her away from us. We don't know how, and all we want to know is what happened. That was What Happened to Baby Penny Tui on The Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Blair Ensor and produced by me, Michael Wright. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you're listening via the Stuff website, you can hear this story and many more like it on The Long Read podcast, available on all the usual podcast apps. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.